Welcome to Church 213. Growing in Christ means maturing in who Christ is and what he's done. There's simply nothing more savory than growing to taste and see how good God is. Pastor Ryan unpacks the aroma that is Hebrews 5 in this challenging word. We're praying for you as you listen and learn. Hey guys, uh, here's a tip. It's Valentine's week. Y'all with me? Mmm. Mm. Y'all call me, I'll make you an appointment. We've got a couple of counseling sessions open this week. It's, it's Valentine's week. <clears throat> and um, as I was thinking about Valentine's week, there's a reason you're not going to uh, there's a reason you're not gonna take the advice of a child about what you're gonna cook your, your girl for her Valentine's dinner. You're not gonna ask the kid, because here's what my 11 year old does not understand that the perfectly cooked bone-in ribeye showcases a caramelized exterior with a deep golden brown crust achieved through high heat sear in a well-seasoned cast iron skillet. Its interior boasts a precise medium-rare doneness indicated by a rosy pink center that transitions to a warm reddish hue toward the edges. And this succulent steak exudes juices upon slicing with a tender buttery texture that effortlessly yields to the bite. Enhanced with a sprinkle of flaky sea salt and freshly ground black pepper, it embodies a harmonious balance of rich, beefy flavor and smoky char, elevating each savory mouthful to culinary perfection. Can I get a witness? And this is hard to explain to my daughter, Sadie. Because the 11-year-old palate hasn't been experientially conditioned. Can I get a witness? And so I want to spend some time this morning in Hebrews 5 because it describes the danger of this. We can claim to have walked with the Lord for some time and still never taste the abundant life promised to be found in Christianity because we just have failed to savor the Savior. Hebrews is tough. Hebrews 5 can can be a challenge. It can be a mystery. Hebrews 5 calls us to recognize that spiritual maturity is required to satisfy. Don't miss this. Spiritual maturity is required to satisfy the deepest hungers of our soul. And so let's stand together. Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to be right right in verse number 1. Some of you guys are like, I know what I'm having for supper. Forget the Super Bowl. I got a steak. Hebrews chapter 5. Starting in verse number 1. If you're there, say I am. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 5 starting in verse 1 says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people. To offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. And he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. Since he is also clothed with weakness. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest, but God who said to him, 
You are my son. Today I have become your father. It's a stamp of authority. Verse 6 also says in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Verse 10, and he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 11. We have a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation. Again, you need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. You guys can be seated. The title of the message today is simply Growing to Savor the Savior. Growing to Savor the Savior. Let's look, let's look as we kind of launch into this right in the middle in verse 11 because it's the hinge point for us. Hebrews 5.11 says, we have a great deal to say about this. And it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Let's read that again. We have a great deal to say about this. We have a great deal to say about this. And it's difficult to explain. These are deep weeds, church. Since you've become too lazy to understand. See, what we see right here from this anonymous letter that was pinned to the Hebrews is a sudden pause in the argument for the aroma of the knowledge of the Savior. I mean, for 10 verses, the writer has been on a roll, cherishing the knowledge of Jesus. Just the succulence of it all, just, just admiring the flavor. It has just been sitting in to all the spices that is King Jesus. He's sitting there and, it, and, and he's been pulling the Jewish Christians up to a full theological table, admiring the buttery texture that effortlessly yields to the bite. But all of a sudden, he pumps the brakes. All of a sudden, in verse 11, he, he, he pulls it into park. And so when I'm reading this, just good Bible study, I'm like, why the change right here? Why does he have to pause? And when I thought about it, it broke my heart. He had to pause because he remembers they're not ready for the adult meal. They're still being satisfied by chicken nuggets and apple slices of their faith. That's right. Would you like a hot apple pie with that? No, I don't want a hot apple pie. I want another chicken nugget and some apple slices. There's a reason why I'm not going to ask Sadie, hey, what do you think I ought to take your mama for dinner this week? 
Here's the thing, I know you want to grow. If you didn't want to grow, you wouldn't be in church actively. You know the average attendance of a church member is 1.8 times a month. That's, that's average, and we see those averages here. But on average, you know, people come through, and on average, people come through because they want to grow, and I, I get that, but here's, here's the thing. No new ground, and that's been our heart this year in 2024. I don't know about you, but when we launched this thing, I said, I want to take some new ground in 2024. My family needs new ground. This community needs new ground. My own divided heart needs new ground. But if we're going to take new ground in 2024, we have to understand that we cannot take it without greater maturity in our walk with the things of Christ. Our four core values, the first thing is doctrine is our bedrock. It's there. Everything flows from a deeper walk with thee. And so what I want to do is work through Hebrews 5 to try to say, hey, what are some things we can hang on to to help us really savor the Savior? First thing is this. we got to know that Christ cares. You're going to savor the Savior. you got to know that He cares. And that's what the writer is laying out before he pumps the brakes in verse 11. Look at verse 1. We're going to read 1 through 8. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. And he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. Since he is also clothed with weakness, because of this he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God just as Aaron was in the same way. Christ did not exalt himself to become high priest. But God who said to him, you are my son today, I have become your father. Also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. What the writer's doing right here, y'all, is he's unpacking the role of a priest. And then he's making the connection to understanding Christ correctly. Are y'all with me? See, Israel's high priest acted as a, a mediator between God and the people. Think about it like the, uh, the salesman between when you're trying to buy a car and the sales manager. It's that guy that constantly goes between back and forth, right? Don't you just love those guys? So what the priest would do is, is, is they were chosen exclusively by God to offer different types of sacrifices. Some would be grain, some would be animals. But what he would do is he would offer this temporary payment for the sins of the people. We kind of know that. If you've been around church long, you know, you understand the role of a priest. But then right in the middle of Hebrews 5, you're introduced to this mystery man. This mystery man that's only mentioned a couple of times. Genesis and then again in Psalms 110 and then right here in, in Hebrews. This mystery man, his name is Melchizedek. He was a priest. And he was a king in Salem, which would later be called Zion, which is another word 
for Jerusalem. He's only mentioned a few times. First time was a thousand years before God gave the priesthood role to the Levites exclusively in the line of Aaron. See, what happened was there was a time where all the people of, of the Israelites could act as priests. But then when Moses came down from the mountain and they were worshiping that, that calf, what Moses did was he took all of that privilege away from the group and he gave it to an exclusive tribe line of air in the Levites. Like only these people can, be, can act as priests. Only these people can, can be as the go-between. And so the role of a priest and the role of kings were kept separate most of Jewish history. We're digging deep. Are y'all with me? Okay. But not in the order of Melchizedek. Because in the order of Melchizedek, he was a priest and he was a king in the time of Abraham, which means this, his duties were earthly ruler and spiritual authority. And we have no clue where he came from. He just, he just, he just popped in the, it's like, where, he, just, he just arrived on the scene. And the reason that's important is because he is a foreshadowing of Jesus who is who is the eternal priest and the ultimate forever king to the order of Melchizedek. So what the writer is doing is he's making reference to this king to which they need to remind, hey, this king cares for you. To the order of Melchizedek. Forever he reigns. But it goes on to say that this high priest with clothed, with, was, was clothed with weakness and that's important because the priest was sinful himself. And so he had to offer sacrifice for himself first before he could offer one for the nation. And so because he found himself broken before the Lord, he could sympathize and he could be gentle because he himself was completely dependent on the Lord and if you think about it like that, man, our sin nature, it bends ourselves to selfishness, doesn't it? We have a hard time putting the needs of other people first. That's just, that's just the reality of it. But the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave Jesus as the last, final, superior, most sympathetic high priest, clothed in humanity, yet Free of sin. Church, that is the gospel. That's what's called the good news. Which means no matter what load we bear, no matter what pain we share, Jesus is able to understand our needs unhindered by sin. Not in selfishness. And he can carry our burdens to the Father while we wait for heaven's deliverance. Priest and king. If you think about what we see in the New Testament, the night before he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he carried the weight of my sin and your sin, and it broke him. The Bible says that in the garden, he began to sweat as if drops of blood. His heart was broken at the prospect of carrying our sins to the Father. And so what we see as a sympathetic Savior is this. He cried. He hurt. He grieved for us as our high priest. You see that? Man, that's good. 
What Jesus had always known in his omniscience, he learned in a personal way on earth by the union of his humanity and in the union of his divinity in one hypostasis, which is just a hypostatic union. It just means in one individual personhood, priest and king. Chew on that. No, really, chew chew on that a while. Unbelievable. The king of heaven reigns. Amen. You guys write this down. The more we increase our knowledge of who Christ is, the easier it is to understand who we are. We've got to drink deeply and savor the things of the Savior. Chew on the promises of who Jesus is. Y'all, I'm saying it's time to move on in maturity and know the depth to which Jesus cares for you. Because purpose is found there. Freedom is found there. God is good all the time. And all the time, y'all really believe that? We say that, friends. We say it all the time. God's word just, just blasts that. That all the time, God is good. God is good all the time. Look at this. Psalm 34, 8. We say these things. Uh, A lot of times we hold them loosely. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes what? Refuge. You don't accidentally take refuge in something. It's intentional. It works at it. Psalm 145.9. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. Nahum 1.7 says it like this. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of distress. He cares for those who take what? Refuge in Him. Ezra 3.11 says it like this. They sang with praises and thanksgiving to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love to Israel endures forever. And it still does, church. Don't ever forget. And then all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. This was, this was a shout of praise when the temple was, was start, starting to be, to be built. But here's the danger. The danger is we never grow up in that. Enough that it really changes us. You know, we say things on our lips, but we don't savor the truths that's found in who Jesus really is. And that's the theme of the text right here. What was going on is these these Jewish Christians were contemplating whether following Jesus was worth the effort. Man, what was the struggle to maturity in knowing the worth of Christ worth it? And that's a question we should ask ourselves. Is, is, is the struggle to maturity in knowing the worth of Christ worth it? I submit to you, yes, it's worth it. It's worth it. Because until Christ is worth much, you'll never work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling much. It starts with maturing in who Jesus is. But God is interested in working your life. Don't let anybody ever tell you God is done with you. He is never through with you. Praise God, God is not finished with me. He's never finished drawing you to himself. No matter where you've been, 
what you've done or what you might do. God is never finished with you. Because he's priest and king. It's not based on us. It's based on him. But it starts with fear and trembling much. God is interested in working in your life. But it takes intentional maturity. Through what? Through effort. And through most importantly, just a desire to want to grow up. Everybody say as a kid, I can't wait till I grow up. And you get there like, man, this is a dirty, rotten trick. <laughs> but, you know, as parents, we tell our kids, don't rush it, right? Don't, don't, don't rush growing up. Enjoy these, enjoy these things. But there's this natural desire in all of us, especially our, our physical mind, that we want to we grow up and we want to try to get places. But why does that not translate often into our spiritual life? It's because we have an enemy, an adversary, who does not want you to have a desire to grow. And so he works against you. There was this father talking to his son, and his father said, Hey, son, why don't you get a job? And the son said, why? The father said, so you can earn some money. The son said, why? The father said, so you can put some money in the bank. You can earn some interest. And the son said, why? So the dad's starting to get frustrated. He said, so when you're old, you can use the money in your bank account. You never have to work again. The son said, but I ain't working now. <laughs> Listen, the scripture tells us that God wired us to work. Work toward goals and to work toward accomplishments with truthfulness and with honor. Doing all things unto the glory of God. I've heard it said like this, a tired back leads to a peaceful mind. Amen? If you think about this, our, the, the, our personhood, it, it demands a satisfaction of adding value to the day. We want to know that when we lay down tonight, we've produced something. We've added value to our families. We've added value to our home. We've added value to, to the people around us. That's why kids need chores. Not that they don't need the money. They need to be able to accomplish something with excellence for the glory of the God, for the glory of the Lord. And we feel, we, I don't know about you, but I feel better after an after a honest day's work. It feels good. That productivity, a maturity in Christ, listen, it leads to the path of clarity. Why? Because you're walking in the fundamental reality of life. Which is what? That it's for Christ that we've been set free. But set free in what? In truth. We're able to walk in truth. And that always leads to abundance. Because you're living life as life was intended by the creator to be lived. You guys write this down. God's will is for us to work to know him more deeply. So you can grow more holy. So you can serve him more confidently. We've got to savor the savior church. We've got to know some things. We've got to know that Christ cares. But if we're going to savor the Savior, something else to do, we have to know what Christ did. Yes, he cares, but, but we also have to know what he did. And I love the fact that our music here proclaims that Christ cares and what Christ did. Every song is going to point to the cross. And my heart's desire is to open this text week after week, 48, sometimes 49 times a year, and get to Jesus as fast as I can.
we got to know what he did. Look what he did. Starting in verse 9. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, forever priest and forever king. See, here's, let, me, let, me, let me tell you why this is important to the Hebrews because the Hebrews were tempted to try to go back into temple worship, religious law. They were comfortable with that. You know, they, they were good at saying things like this. Well, we ain't never done it like that before. Be careful when you start saying those things in your faith. Especially in your church family. I mean, often, often new growth comes through new soils. And naturally, we, we get caught in rut. Now, I mean, Debbie and I, we've been going to the same little date place since 98, and we'll go in there and we'll sit in the same booth. One, we didn't buy it. And two, we don't have reserved seats. But we're naturally creatures of habit. I, I mean, I like to come in here pre-service. Some of you guys get your sermon guides, and you... These are my seats! Right? This is where I sit. Even in staff meeting, you know, we... we and pull that curtain a little bit. We talk about y'all. <laughs> Say, hey, did you see, you know, every, every Monday you can ask the staff. We sit right out there in the lobby and we go through prayer requests. Hey, you know, what's, who's on your radar? We call it Wolf Watch. What's going on? What are some needs? You know, let's, 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 let's get some synergy around the needs of our church. Did you see so-and-so? And I don't know about you, what I'll do is I'll, I, I go through the Rolodex of the sections, A, B, C, D, and I'm like, I didn't, I didn't see so-and-so and so-and-so. Oh, they were serving in Kidstown. Oh, how do you, because I didn't see them. We're naturally creatures of habit. So what's going on right here is the Hebrews were, 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 going, were going back to old temple worship. And the Old Testament sacrifices of animals had to be repeated. I don't want you to miss this. This is about to get good. It had to be repeated year after year by the high priest. But notice, the priest couldn't offer payments for himself. Because he wasn't personally acceptable before the Lord. And so in his own suffering... Jesus accomplished the final requirement of the high priest. The final requirement, the payment for you and for me, it was made. Listen, past, current, future sin debt was paid, erased from the record. And so an earthly priest, what could they do? They could only provide temporary, substitutionary forgiveness. And so those animal sacrifices, what do they do? They just delayed justice, but they couldn't remove it from the record, okay? And on the yearly day of atonement, what they would do is, is they would have to symbolize forgiveness for sins. And so what the priest would do is he would need two goats. And on one goat, that priest would put his hand on its head. And what that did was it, it symbolized a transferring of guilt between the people that he was atoning for in the eyes of God, in that animal. And that guilt from the sinner was, was transferred and it would offer its life. And that animal dies payment so that justice would be temporarily delayed. But after the death of that first, that second goat was kept alive. This is called the scapegoat. You guys ever heard the scapegoat? 
that scapegoat would be kept alive and, and it would be ceremonially cleansed and it would be made holy and the blood of the first goat would be poured onto the head of the second goat and that second goat would then be taken deep into the wilderness and it would be let go and to never return. At least they hoped. It's all symbolic. And what this did was it symbolized the complete removal of our sin from view, from our memory, and from our conscience. Y'all ever heard out of sight, out of mind? That's the life they lived in order to be consecrated before a holy God. But without this scapegoat who couldn't return, that sin of the man or, the man or woman or boy or girl or family or teenager or whoever, it was covered for now. But they would still circle back as a reminder of what had done. That's why they would try to take it far. They didn't want it circling back. Think, think about it like this. When a person commits a crime, there might be justice. You might have to pay a fine. You might have to do your time, maybe jail. But the record of the, of the crime still remains. Y'all with me? It's still on the books. And the criminal's name is permanently tainted from society. I mean, even if you've paid, your just, you've paid your due to society, it's still in the minds of the people. And that sentence, even though maybe you've already paid your debt, that sentence doesn't change the fact that there's still a healing from the pain of your actions against another human being. Let alone to cleanse your consciousness of the criminal. It's still there. And so what is needed? What is needed is a complete removal of his crime, right? I'm talking about a wiping clean so that past failures are not only paid for, but they are also made to disappear like they never happened. That's freedom. That's, that's forgiveness. For the one who has been set free is free indeed. And see, the blood of the cross, listen, it transferred our sin, but it didn't end there. Three days later, Jesus walked out of the tomb, and 40 days after that, he ascended out of sight back to the Father. He's gone. That's the hope of the resurrection and the hope of our forgiveness. You see the symbolism? He's trying to get these people to, hey, don't go back to the religious temple rituals. Savor the what? The Savior. It sealed the promise that our sins are transferred, forgiven, and forgotten forever. By one last act, one final sacrifice, Christ the Lord Wipe clean forever the record of believers before the Father. And that's what changes your heart forever. That's what creates desire to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so if you place your faith in Christ, here's what I'm saying. Operate from a clean conscience daily through repentance. Knowing this, God's not angry at you. But what he's doing is he's calling you into greater maturity. Oh man, there's such freedom knowing that your sin's not going to be held against you because it's been paid. But your conscience can be cleared before you sleep at night by simply confessing things that you've messed up during the day. And say, Lord, I'm sorry. I love you. I want to save you. I don't want a broken relationship. I want you to restore things. Restore my heart. Set things right. Help me make another good run tomorrow. Baby, help me keep the slack out of the line. Help me make a good run. Hebrews 
I mean, Psalms uh, 103, 12 says this. Great memory verse. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Here's the thing. If you, if, you, if you strike out here today and you go east and you travel east all the way around the globe, you will never turn into west. You're always going east. You see? But if you go north, you can only go north so far until you start going south. But that's not what he's... He's, he's, that's not the picture that he's talking about. As far as the east is from the west. How far is that? Infinite. And so the one that's reminding you of your failures is not your savior. It's your adversary. Who's whispering in your ear all the failures of your past. In order to thwart the maturity and the growth and desire in your future. He's a punk. And he's a liar. And by the authority of Jesus, he's defeated. And I don't know, maybe in the sovereignty of God, I'm going to be there to push him over into the lake of fire. <laughs> Hebrews 9.14 says it like this. We have a great deal to say about this. Oh, is that's not 9.14. Is it there? Let me read it to you. Hebrews 9.14 says it like this. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. One of the powerful, most powerful reasons to come into this place is every week we have an opportunity to say, Lord, forgive me. Help me make a good run this week and walk out of here a little lighter. As we share with one another our burdens. But that's not where these believers were. They, were. they were tempted to go back into the rut of religious law and temple traditions. Because they weren't working out the maturity in Christ. And the writer's calling them that. He's like, hey, if we're going to savor Christ, you've got to grow your palate. You've got to grow your palate. Know that Christ cares. Know what Christ did. And then, remember, on 11, he pumps a brake. He's like, but I can't, you're not getting it. I can't take it any further. You're not able to savor it because of what's holding you back. And so if you're going to savor the Savior, you have to ask yourself, hey, what's holding me back? It's certainly not the will of God. There's some things you just simply don't have to pray about. Creating an appetite for the things of God is one of them. So if you're going to savor the Savior you got to know what holds you back. Look at verse 11. We have a great deal to say about this. And it's difficult to explain. Since you have become lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation. Again, you need milk, not solid food. And now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been what? Trained to distinguish between good and evil. A second win. 
Listen, I was thinking about this. You know why so many believers still out there feel like they're kind of stuck in the mud with their, with, with their faith? And, 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 and often believers feel uncomfortable when they walk into the church house. Well, the text says it's, it's, it's possible Jesus has become a shallow label, right? There's no spiritual soil that's deep enough to promote some growth. And that's the message of the text here. There are some things that are holding them back, and there's some things that hold us back from savoring the Savior. Verse 11 says it like this. He said, it says, you're lazy to understand. Lazy to understand. So what does that mean, lazy to understand? I mean, it's kind of in your face, I get it. God wanted to take them deeper. Deeper in knowing that Christ cares, deeper than knowing that what Christ did. But he can't because they hadn't ready, catch this now, church, they hadn't ready themselves in the small things. Small things turn into big things. Be faithful with little and he will expand. He will give you much. Be faithful with the small things. They'd become dull and they'd become numb and they'd become sluggish. You know, you know, slug, you know, that just that feeling you get when, when you have that big Thanksgiving meal. And then you're, you're in the living room and you're just about to hit that recliner rim sleep. You know, you're dreaming about that rapid eye movement. And then some kid wants to come, and, come in and explain something to you and you need to be fully engaged. You know, that happens in the house all the time. The girls come in and they really want to tell me something. You know, they want to give me all the details. But I just can't. I can't. I can't. I'm too sluggish. I'm, 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 I'm not able to, to understand it. Lazy or dull ears. I thought, you know, what exactly does that mean? It means this. These people have become dull of hearing they were, don't miss this, becoming unfazed by the message of Jesus. They become unfazed. Let me ask you this question. Does the cross still move you? It ought to. It ought to. Because the moment thoughts of Christ don't move you is the moment God stops being able to move you. And when we're slow to try to understand God's truth, we become hardened to it. Now, y'all, this is gold right here. You become hardened to it. And then we become uninterested in it. We become uninterested in it less and less, and then less and less we begin to benefit from the sharp, piercing, life-giving bread of life. You can only push away from the table so long until your palate starts to change from the hungry of God's word to the things of this world, and then you become sick. Hey, there's an estimated 500,000 tons of water that rushes over Niagara Falls every minute. I, I mean, it's on the bucket list. I want to go. Has anybody ever seen Niagara Falls? Is it as majestic as you see? Well, something incredible happened March 29th, 1948. The falls stopped. And the people that lived around it were awakened by the deafening silence. And they thought the end of the world was happening. <laughs> they didn't know what was going on. And it, it was 30 hours before that rush of water resumed 500,000 gallons every minute. And so what happened was this. Some heavy winds 
had set over the ice field at Lake Erie and those winds had pushed tons of ice and it had jammed the Niagara River all the way to Buffalo and it stopped the flow of the river until the ice shifted again. Here's what I want you to know. The flow of God's grace in our lives, it can be blocked by cold indifference. You can shut it down. And so dullness here in the context, context, I don't want you to miss it, is this. It's being uninterested in being pushed to grow. It's being, un, you, you know, have you ever had a child like that that's just not interested in wanting to grow? You try to explain to, you try, some of you, you're looking around like, yeah. They're just not interested. But you know, as, as God's children, we can get in that place too. And what I want to say is this, don't y'all, don't see a connect event and think, hey, I'll get you next time, Pastor. I'll be interested next time. I'll, I'll, I'll be ready to, to be engaged later. I'll make that decision some other time. I'll get up and I'll come to church next Sunday. Y'all, that's dangerous. Because what it's telling us is there might not be another time to listen. God might be speaking exclusively now. The soil of your soul might be soft now. But it might not always be. God might harden your ears. And that scares me to think about that a person might become too dull to hear God's voice. Does that scare you? It scares me. It scares me that, that I might push away and lose a desire and he, 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 he no longer can draw me up to a, to a tender place. I am more convinced from being in ministry almost 18 years that God just gives a handful of opportunity that you come to a crossroads in your life with your faith. And what I'm coming to see is there are a lot of people that look into the land and turn around and walk away and never get the chance to respond and get down in that soft soil ever again. Because the enemy snatches it away. I see it. Just keep showing up. Keep asking the Lord to give you a desire. You guys write this down. Being satisfied with being dull will eventually lead to sin and death. Of what God has planned for us here on earth. And so I'm begging you, church. Don't be lazy to understand if you know what holds you back. Verse 12. So yeah, being lazy to understand will hold you back. But there's something else. Verse 12 says, hey, don't be slow to grow. Don't be slow to grow. We've got these two peach trees at the house. Because I've got a Georgia peach. And my Georgia peach wanted some Georgia peaches. So I planted these peach trees. They're so lazy. They've done nothing in three years. You know why they've done nothing in three years? Because we've done nothing to help them do anything in three years. All I've been doing is wasting money on Roundup and Weed Eater cord around those trees. But I love you, so we're going to love those trees, aren't we? And we'll just go to Lane's Packing Shed, and we'll just buy peaches down there at Dickey's Farm in Fort Valley, okay? Slow to grow. Verse 12 says this. Although by this time, you ought to be teachers. 
And you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation. What, church? Again. And you need milk, not solid food. See, the length of time they had been under instruction of the New Testament truth, they should have, they should have known enough to be teaching it themselves by now. They should have savored and tasted enough of the basic fundamental elements of what Christ is and what Christ had done. They had, that, that should have wakened something in their heart and they should have been leading out in those areas. But they had never applied it deep in their souls. And so they had not grown in it. They couldn't grow in it. And so they couldn't do the most basic childlike things like sharing the same gospel treasure with somebody else. Y'all write that down. Sharing Christ is evidence that you're maturing. That's just, that's just simple. The fact that you can communicate the things that you've experienced is a sign of maturity. I love it when, when, you, and when we have so many babies. Goodness gracious. But one of the privileges of, of, of pastoring is you get to see them grow. Oh, man, just to, to see Jack in here, you know, up here and, and seeing him during the week and hearing him. Seeing him respond and, and telling things that he's experienced, responding to the environment, it's evidence that there's maturity. Are y'all with me? The ability and willingness to share about God is a mark of maturity. And the recipients of this letter, they should have been able to share some of those things with other people by now. But, but, but instead of helping others grow, they were in need of learning again the simple teachings of the Christian life. And they needed to be reminded of the baby stuff over and over and over and over. Y'all, a mark of a good church is people who don't stay in the toddler room. Amen? It's a mark of a good church. God loves you enough to save you right where you are. He loves you too much to leave you there. And so do we. There's all different levels of experience in the walk with Jesus, but we ought to be making forward progress. If you're looking back on your life with Christ, like, man, I've been saved for, for weeks, months, years, but, but I really don't know anymore. I don't have a greater desire. Then, then the, the growth is stunted. Begin to pray that God would give you, give you a desire for those things. Show up. Pour it in. Begin to pour it out. Hey, I want to be honest up front. I'm never going to stop calling us to something more. I'm just not going to do it. I'm never going to stop challenging our minds intellectually with who Christ is so that our hearts can change. But I want to be honest with you. There are people that are no longer in this church and no longer attend because they enjoy lukewarmness. And that's hard preaching. And I'm going to tell you that is hard to carry as a pastor. That you pour, you pour, you labor over a full, healthy meal. And you call people just to, but you can't make them want it. And they fade away. Ephesians 4 says this. Ephesians 4, 17 and 25. <clears throat> Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer live as the Gentiles live. In the futility of their thoughts. 
They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with the desire for more and for more and for more. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the what? The truth. That's just the greatest aspect of reality. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. And when we walk in truth with one another, and we desire the Lord with one another, man, what a beautiful unity. Doctrine is our bedrock. you got to know it, right? But then what? Unity is our glue. It's all here. It's, it's the story. And when I read those things, I'm like, man, that is, that is a punch in the gut. Because here's what I want you to know. Here's the challenge you ought to be leading by example by now. You ought to be serving in your church by now. You should be impacting other marriages by now. And that thing that hurt your feelings, you should have already gone and tried to make it right by now. Come on. You should be someone trusted with leadership by now. Y'all, we sit out in the staff meetings and we, God puts things on our hearts and we begin to think, man, who can we go after? And I'm going to tell you, the leadership pipeline is narrow. You should be unsatisfied by simple Bible stories by now. And we change curriculum in Kidstown and we're going deeper back there. We are unpacking the scriptures apologetically and we are giving our kids. And I work with, I work with Sadie on her little take-home sheet. We are, we are exegeting 2 Timothy 3.16. That's in kids' way. It's got cool stuff. And, but I'm all into it. I praise God. You should be making worship less about your preferences by now. You should be giving tithes and offerings by now. And that thing you know God's been telling you to do, you ought to be obedient by now. You ought to be sharing Jesus by now. Amen? The last thing in the text is holding us back is this. And we're ending here. Some of us are still on the milk. And hey, listen. I drink milk. People say, hey, adults shouldn't drink milk. I'm like, maybe so. But you don't know about double stuffed Oreos. So, ha! Okay? <laughs> there are times where I, where I need some milk. In my life. But here's the thing. Look at verse 13. Now everyone who lives on milk. Is inexperienced with the message about righteousness. Because he is a what? Infant. But solid food is for mature. It's for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. That's the cause and effect. For those that eat the meat, they can discern what is good and evil. And they can begin to, to be trained 
to walk in the ways of truth, to walk in the light. If you think about milk, milk it's pre-digested food. That's why it's suited for babies. It's, it's easy on the stomach. But only those who have teeth could enjoy the steak. And so here, milk describes the basics. That, that's, that's the point. It's, it's the surface. It's the convenient. Milk requires little effort to access. The meat, however, y'all, it, it, it describes the work of the Lord in heaven as our high priest. And what does that do? It springboards us into deeper waters. We begin our Christian life with the ABCs. Absolutely. Admit sin separates you from God. B, believe Jesus is the separation solution and confess our allegiance to Him through baptism. But I'm going to say, then get going. Come out of that water and get going. I've heard it said like this, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Amen! And when I stood at the altar and, and pledged my faithfulness to Debbie, I could not wait. One of the, one of the things that I really looked forward to was putting, putting the ring on her finger. Because it symbolized that God had given me a bride to get to know a little better until death do us part. One of the things we like to do is we like to meet with them. Um, when we do, we meet with a lot of young couples and do marriage coaching, counseling. And uh, one of the questions that we ask, especially young couples, is, hey, if you had to put a, level, a degree level on how well you know the other person, would you have a GED? Would you have a, a, a high school diploma? Would you have a BA? Would you have a master's? Or would you have a PhD? And we met with a young couple recently, and they've been there, what, like early 20, 19, 20? They've known each other since middle school. And I asked this question, and both of them were like, oh, Ph.D. <laughs> and, and, before, before, <laughs> and before Debbie could catch herself, she goes, oh, that's cute. <laughs> I'm like, you know what Ph.D. stands for? <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. Just when you think you've learned all you can learn, boy, you ain't learned nothing yet. Because as she grows in her relationship with Christ, he conforms her more to his image. And so I am in the constant pursuit of learning who God is making her to be and vice versa. Because we've anchored our marriage in the same wellspring of change. And that's the only thing that can hold a relationship together is for two independently flawed people moving in opposite directions to be tethered to one unchanging priest and king. And so we have to take our spiritual life forward as we grow in the word, as we apply it to our daily lives. What? To be skillful in eating solid food. So our palate, y'all with me, gets, it gets trained. It starts to distinguish between good and evil with mature spiritual senses. And so the question is, how much longer is milk enough for you? One more week or one more month or, or a year? Five years, ten years. My commitment is, is to put some things in your hand to, to help you get off the meal. Y'all okay with that? If you look out on the lobby table, I've got a couple of my resources from my library. 
some, I mean, let me throw a picture up. The first picture is this. <clears throat> Just some different things that would challenge you. Some of these things are, are for your kids. If you want to start some night devos, this indescribable devotion is really good. This book right here uh, is called Silence. It's a novel written from missionaries in 1611. It really challenges to think deeply about who Christ really is and the sacrifice that missionaries made. It's an easy read. Christ or chaos, apologetic. Why, why, why is there chaos without Christ? That's the easy read. That Bonhoeffer right there, that's a slab. It's 1,500 pages, but believe me, it's good. The knowledge of the holy, Tozer, apologetic. This momentary marriage, John Piper. It's the best marriage on book I've ever, I've ever read. And then a little bitty Bible book for your, for your little ones so that you can start washing God's word over them. Take, don't take them with you, but take a picture of them, okay? I encourage you guys to just to take that next step. To grow. Y'all with me? To, to grow it up. I'm going to end with this. There was this evangelist. And he was invited to minister in this community. And the driver picked him up. But the driver's gauges didn't work on his car. So he didn't know how much gas he had. He ran out of gas. And so the evangelist and the driver began to get out and they began to push. And after a while, somebody came by and gave them some gas and they got it going. Here's the thing. They prayed, but that prayer didn't power that car. They were, the car even had two holy men in it. But that didn't make a difference. What made the difference is when they actually put what was necessary in the tank to give that car power. And what I'm saying is, if we want to grow in maturity and savor the Savior, we've got to begin to put into our lives substantial things that actually move us forward. You can say all day long, God, I want to know you more. But if you never do anything about it, then you begin to kind of shrink away from that table and that opportunity. Just as a savory steak delights the senses, I'm saying the knowledge of Jesus satisfies the hungers of our souls. Let's stand together. So here's the challenge. It's simply consider the words of life and react to it. And whatever God's calling you to do, I encourage you to do that while the soil is soft. Amen. Maybe it's a decision for Christ. Maybe you've come to experience Christ. Maybe you've put your faith in Christ for the first time, even right here during, that, during this service. You want to say, Pastor, I got saved this morning. It doesn't have to be this, this monumental prayer thing. If, if God has pierced your heart and drawn you to a relationship with Him by the authority of God's Word and your submission to it, you're saved. There's nothing that you can ever do to lose that. But there's next steps. First next step is baptism. You say, Pastor, I need, I need to follow the Lord in baptism. Whatever, whatever the Lord will have you do, I encourage you to do it. So let's pray together. I'm not going to necessarily lead you yet. I want you to pray. I want you to pray. Pray for the person to your left and right. Pray for yourself to 
Ask the Lord to give you the desire to savor the savor. To taste and see that he's good. Contemplate him, church, the next few minutes. That he cares and what he did, what's holding you back. I'm going to tell you, there's people around you that are watching your hunger and thirst for him. Mom and dad, those kids in your house, they're, you're setting their palate. By how serious you take your faith. We know that the word says that he's not mocked, that we reap what we sow. But I'm telling you, it's never too late to start sowing something different. If you've been on the milk, ask the Lord to forgive you. Because you're out of the will of God. Based on the great sacrifice that he has made. Say, oh Lord, I'm sorry. We're not drinking deeply of the things that I know in my heart is true. And I ask you to forgive me. Maybe that thing God has been calling you to in your church, you've just been neglecting. and You're tired of running and today is the day that it ran into Jesus. Maybe it does run in the family until it ran into Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you for your precious word and how it always meets us exactly where we are. It doesn't return void. It's living and it's active. And it's eternal. And so, Father, I pray that as we just give our moments to you in the next few minutes, that you would have your way in our hearts. God, that we would grow up as a church body. We would be able to discern what is good and evil with mature senses We would bear fruit because of the soil that we've planted ourselves in every morning and how we close our conscience every day, every night, Lord. You're so good to us. God, may we taste and see the fullness of priest and king. God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, never stop working on us challenging us to something more, Lord. Piercing us in our conscience that we are just missing the mark. We're lazy. We're carnal. We're worldly. We're fleshly, Lord. And left upon ourselves, we find ourselves in the wilderness with empty religious activity. So God, I pray that you would grip our hearts this morning. so that we could go tell the world about it. We pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said.